Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Totally normal. Totally normal day. Totally normal, right? Nothing going on. Nothing interrupting football. Uh, playoff game. That's normal. They're going to come back and win now. I just jinxed it. I mean, <laughs> reverse jinxed it, whatever you want to call it. Uh, well, the Vikings are trying to get back to normal. They're trying to get back to work on Thursday of this week um, after playing the Titans and the NFL's first official, first COVID interruption and outbreak on the Tennessee Titans where an infected player did play, or a couple of them played, in their long snapper and their nose tackle. We'll get into some of the details of that, but right now the Vikings game is scheduled to be on for Sunday against the Texans. Um, the game with the Titans is postponed right now into either Monday or Tuesday with their next game against the Steelers. That's officially the first game that's getting postponed in the NFL season. It's happening by week four. Um, ben, Vikings, like I said, trying to get back to normal. How are they going to go about doing that right now after I should also mention no positive cases with the Vikings right now? Yeah, I mean, so far they've avoided this, and the way they framed it on Wednesday, I would say was cautious optimism. I, so far, no positive tests, but as we, I think, have learned throughout the course of this year, COVID can take a while to show up on a positive test. They've, they continued to test yesterday, and they continued to test today. They will do so again tomorrow. It sounded like they're going to add a little another layer to this uh, as they get back to work here. They typically do the PCR test, which is – the the nasal swab it's not the one that goes all the way back to your brain but it's been the one the nfl has used all year i think major league baseball has done something a little bit different i think it's similar to what the nba has done that that's typically what they do and it it turns results in in 24 hours or less and they will also it sounded like today eric sugarman talked about this once before people go into the building you have to have a negative pcr test in the last 24 hours and you also have to have a negative point of care test, which is the rapid test that I think the Big Ten is going to start using quite a bit with football. You have to have one of those that day. They take like 20 minutes to turn around. So you'll have to have that to get into the building, have to basically pass two gates, so to speak, to get in and get back to work. And it sounds like he talked about enhanced temperature checks. I'm not sure how you do an enhanced temperature check, but um, they're basically going to try to, to, be more diligent about everything. And I, I think so far they've been fairly diligent. They haven't had a lot of positive tests and most teams in the NFL have handled this fairly well, but this thing seems to have found the one loophole in the testing in that they don't test on game days. You test Saturday morning before you get on the plane, or unless you fly a couple of days early, and then you don't test again until after the game, unless you have, either a result that is inconclusive or they think could be a false positive, in which case you could take the point of care test. And if that's negative Sunday morning, you can play. I, I think they wanted to try to avoid having a situation where somebody tested on Sunday morning and you didn't have the results. So you didn't know, or you try to go based on the point of care tests, which are not quite as accurate. They're rapid, but they're not quite as accurate as the, the PCR tests. So when it came between, potentially holding a guy out on a, a point of care test or having him play, the NFL did what we would probably expect the NFL to do and keep the players on the field. So 
that's where we're at. We'll have to see if any of that changes. As of now, the Vikings think they're going to play in Houston on Sunday, even though they've missed a day of practice today and presumably could have their schedule off, altered if there's any positive tests later in the week. Yeah, we did hear um, – we heard Rick Spielman, the general manager, talk about how they had to adjust things a little bit. They had to have coaches game plan from home on Tuesdays. Um, they had to have virtual meetings on Wednesday. Obviously, as Ben just said, no practice for the Vikings on Wednesday of this week, which is one of their main practices leading up to any game week for a Sunday. Um, so there's some competitive disadvantage stuff there, but just in terms of the importance of them not having any COVID tests right now, Ben, it sounds like they're not going to know until Friday or Saturday if they're totally in the clear, right? Yeah, and, and that's kind of what Eric Sugarman talked about as being the sweet spot, so to speak. I mean, this can, I think – in theory, take longer than that to show up. It can take, you know, 10 days to two weeks before it shows up from the time that you're exposed in, in some cases. But I think they probably figure if you're testing every day and the tests have been fairly accurate and you're getting results that quickly, you have good reason to think that if it's not showing up, you're probably going to be okay. I, I mean, all of this, I mean, this, our whole lives this year have been everybody trying to make risk tolerance decisions with everything you do. And, and there's an element of that here as well. But yeah, I, I think they're, I think they feel like if you get to the end of the week and there's not a, a big spate of positive test results that you're probably in pretty good shape. Mike, it feels weird that we're talking about this in the sense that it's like good news that, Hey, only eight people tested positive or seven <laughs> tested positive on an NFL team, but it's week four now entering week four. And this is the first time it's happened. Um, it's as Eric Sugarman said for the Vikings, it's, it's not going to be the last time it happens on any NFL team. They just hope it's the last time for the Vikings. Um, I guess, is this kind of good news for the NFL or how do you view the situation right now? Yeah. I mean, if this is, if this is as far as it goes with their first kind of scare with this or the, you know, the first kind of real maybe outbreak, I don't know if outbreak is the technical term for this at this point, but you know, if, if this is the first situation, let's say, it doesn't go any further than let's let's say the Titans and the Steelers have to postpone their game by a day or two. That doesn't throw them completely out. They don't have to alter any other game. They can just play their, their schedule beyond that. Say the Vikings and Texans are able to play Sunday. Then, then, you know, then it feels like, okay, they've, they've kind of contained it. It feels like maybe the tracing piece that they're doing is, is working. I think Ben's point was a good one though. The loophole, create some exposures. And we don't know if the Titans are, are done having their positive cases either. We certainly don't know. They're probably more vulnerable than, than the Vikings are at this point to, to having more, you know, positive cases show up as the week goes on. Um, I guess my question is what, you know, what, what if the Vikings get one or two positive tests in the next day or two? What does that do to their schedule? Do they then just isolate those guys? Or then are we talking about a possible shutdown situation or a possible postponement situation it sounded like they would kind of proceed as they normally would you, you isolate those guys you do the contact tracing I mean they're still wearing the contact tracing devices when they're in the facility and nobody's been together this week so if you had somebody come down with it you basically I think would isolate based on anybody that was in close contact with them on Sunday mm -hmm. that would have really been the last time players would have been together but yeah you, you should I think be able to proceed as normal if you isolate those guys and go from there. It sounded this morning when the Vikings talked about it, like that's what they would do. They would not shut the facility again based on a couple of positive tests. And they didn't have a number of a, you know, a threshold that would say, Hey, we have to shut everything down again. But 
as of now, they're planning to be back in there and practice on Thursday. And if you have a couple of positive tests, you deal with it. Now, if you're positive tests, I, I don't think it would work this way based on I, – I tend to think based on a nose tackle, the guys that are at the highest risk are probably offensive linemen. I would Seems like it, yeah. But, I mean, if it's a guy that was on top of Kirk Cousins a couple of times on Sunday or Dalvin Cook, I, I suppose it could be that. And, and then you're talking about competitive disadvantage – type things if you're missing those players hold your jokes please about <laughs> we'll get to that later yeah but if you're missing those guys then yeah it's probably a competitive disadvantage for the vikings but this is part of the arrangement everybody made with this season you you knew that some of this stuff was going to come up and you weren't going to have this year be completely fair in the sense that the nfl likes to try to manicure it to usually be that way so um, as for now, I think it's kind of go forward and hope for the best. Yeah, Rick Spielman likened it to, he said he's talking to Troy Vincent, um, the NFL's VP of, is it just football operations, I guess? Executive um, Vice President of Football Operations, I believe. Uh, sorry. Very long, very fancy title. Um, Executive Vice President of Football Operations. One of the guys that's going to handle closely with the union and the NFL regarding if any games need to get postponed, obviously the, the NFL has announced they've got this committee of former GMs, players, coaches. They'll consult regarding these matters. So that's a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into their, into their current process. But Rick Spielman said the league kind of likened it to like a natural disaster when like the Saints had to move because of Katrina or a Florida team has to get out of town because of a hurricane and has to practice off-site and then misses a day because of travel. Um, that's just kind of where we're at, where these things are going to pop up and they're going to be like, well, we've got some kind of precedent. We're going to try to just keep everything on track uh, as possible. And when you talk about the loophole um, and kind of six-day testing and not doing it on game days, I wonder how much of that went into the fact that they probably didn't want point-of-care tests on Sunday morning if those are, let's say, 85% accurate. I think that's around the number they are. If something comes back and it's a false positive and it's in that 15% range and also let's say Kirk Cousins isn't playing because of a false positive how is that going to come back you're not going to replay the game when he then tests then when he tests uh clear the next day so it's just there's so many different hurdles they have to kind of look through and and think that well you know let's just let's hope that a coach doesn't get sick like what happened with the Titans and then spreads it to players like we're assuming on a Saturday and then they come in Sunday don't get tested and play which is presumably what happened yeah, I mean, you, you're you're dealing with scenarios that if we were going to do this, people had to accept. You you are not going to be able to say with 100% certainty that we will have a season completely free of COVID. We're not at that point with testing accuracy. We're not at that point with how much people are kind of willing to just shut everything down. And we're probably – we're obviously not at that point with – people saying, okay, if we have any inkling of a positive test, then we're going to shut things down, even if it's a point-of-care test. The the default still seems to be toward having players on the field as much as you can. I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's what it is. And if you were going to do this season, it was always going to be under those parameters. So, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, Andrew, that that the point of – they don't want the point-of-care test to be the first line of defense ever. I mean, the, the PCR test has been – their approach, I think that's going to be different in the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten's more of the, the antigen tests that are, I think, more of the rapid ones. But um, the, the PCR test has been the bedrock of this, and I think they want it to continue to be that way. 
Yeah, so we'll end up seeing how that affects things moving forward. If the NFL changes its policy, they've said openly that I think Dr. Alan Sills has mentioned we're going to be changing our policies um, based on all the conditions, whether it's the COVID rates around the country, whether it's the tests that are available, these um, saliva tests that the Big Ten and college football are seem to try to use. Um, we'll see how accurate those are. But yeah, it's just so much changing right now with everything going on. The Vikings, though, seem to be in the clear as of right now, and they're going to play on Sunday. Um, going to football-wise, Mike, do you think not, not practicing one day, two 0-3 teams is going to make much of a difference? Athletes, coaches in particular, are creatures of habit. So I'm sure, you know, they, there's a certain disruption element, obviously. You know, coaches not being able to be in the building Tuesday probably means they were behind in a certain way on, on film or having to do, do a lot of their scouting the way they maybe did it in the offseason, which was a lot of virtual stuff. Players not being able to be, you know, on the field Wednesday, sure, that that maybe puts them a little bit behind in any kind of, you know, specific prep, walkthrough type stuff. But if, if they're still able to get back out there by, by Thursday and have, you know, an actual practice and then do kind of the, the lighter Friday practice, I don't, I don't think it's all that bad. But maybe, maybe it's magnified a little bit in a year like this where they haven't had as much time on the field together in general. So I could see it being – a little bit, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be searching for that as an excuse Sunday if they if they lose uh, if they do it indeed play and, and lose at, at Houston. Yeah, the Texans are also going to have thirteen thousand some fans, I believe. Um, I can't remember the exact number, but it's it's tens of th- ten plus thousand. Going to be the largest crowd the Vikings play in front of, and it's, it might feel like a road crowd for the first time uh, in twenty twenty. So you've got that disadvantage going for you too if you're Minnesota. But the Texans are zero three. They had a, a murderer's row out of the gate playing the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Steelers. They gave up 30-plus points a game, almost 400 yards a game. Um, Their confidence right now, as Bill O'Brien alluded to today when talking to Twin Cities Media, it's not that high, (laughs) as you can imagine. Um, They were 0-3 in 2018, as as Ben pointed out, when we were talking about digging out of of holes to start the season um, on the last podcast. And they ended up 11-5 that year in 2018. Um, But Bill O'Brien said, this is a pretty different roster. There's not a whole lot we can draw from that. And right now we just need to get a win to get their confidence back up. Um, this might be the kind of game I, I thought was going to be the most winnable game on the Vikings schedule before the bye week. And I, I still think that because when you look at Deshaun Watson, he's getting sacked more than anybody not named Joe Burrow. Um, the offense without DeAndre Hopkins just doesn't look the same to me. Um, ben, we're going to be watching, I think, some two pretty bad offensive lines on Sunday in Texas. Yeah, I think we are. It's and I think it's a winnable game in the sense that they look like a mess as well. I the Vikings have not been great at getting to quarterbacks, and aside from Yannick Ngakwe, they haven't had a ton of pass rush. And I, I think Deshaun Watson presents a lot of matchup problems for them. The, the Titans or the Texans, I should say, the team that replaced the Titans when the Oilers moved to Tennessee, have not done a great job of putting weapons around Deshaun Watson. Uh, most notably, they traded DeAndre Hopkins for uh, David Johnson a couple of years past his prime this summer, um, this spring, I guess. But I Watson is the part of this that still makes me think it's a, a tougher matchup than your typical road game against another 0-3 team. Mike, what do you think? What do you think? Of, what's your confidence level when you look at this defense? We don't know yet because the Vikings didn't practice Wednesday. We don't know if they're going to have Mike Hughes. We don't know if they're going to have – certainly the, the, the outlook on Daniel Hunter is not optimistic that he's coming back this week. 
Um, we should Cameron still see an injury report today, correct? Sorry to cut you off, but I, I would think they'd still file an injury report today. Yeah, you would think they would have an estimated one at least. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we might figure that out if Cameron Dancer's taking a step closer. But if they get a little bit healthier, I guess, how are you feeling about this defense right now? Uh, not great, Andrew. Not great. <laughs> I feel, you know, I'm sure you guys addressed this post game on, uh, on Sunday. But, you know, at least the Sunday, the loss to, to, the, to Tennessee felt a little bit more like maybe what we maybe expected is the wrong word, but no, knowing that the offense was seemingly ahead of the defense in terms of at least of experience and pieces coming back, you could imagine them playing games like that this year, you know, as opposed to the first two weeks where they just kind of got steamrolled uh, on defense and it, the offense just never, never really had them in the game until it was too late. This was more of one of those back and forth games. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not confident in the defense really at all right now. What, what, what I did see, you know, with the emergence of Justin Jefferson, with the way they could run the ball was, you know, the, the idea that even if the defense is still way behind um, dealing with both injuries and youth, that they could, you know, that they can win a game like a 30 to 27 kind of thing where they didn't really show that even though they put up 34 points on the Packers, that was not a game where you felt like the offense was doing its part, at least when it really mattered the most. So at least you saw that glimpse the other day, but defensively, I have, I have very little confidence. They're just not playing well. They don't have, they don't have very good players on defense right now, at least healthy ones. This might be a spot where yeah, they have to win a shootout. Um, and that might just be the way they have to win games in 2020. I don't know if we're going to see many spots, especially when you got Russell Wilson coming up, uh, Aaron Rodgers again on the schedule. Um, there's just not a lot of bad offenses they're playing. And so I don't, I don't know, Ben, I guess when we were talking about Justin Jefferson taking that step, we got the Dalvin cook game. They, they're running the ball really well. Um, I guess I could see them winning that kind of type, that type of game on Sunday and maybe a 35 to 30 kind of game. Yeah, they could. Uh, they also became the first team, I think in NFL history, according to the last sports bureau to have a, a running back and a receiver both go north of 170 yards or 175 yards or whatever it was and lose on Sunday. So to say that they can win a shootout, yes, they can. They also can lose a shootout, as we saw them do this week. It comes down to being able to not beat yourself with a lot of the little things that we've seen them beat themselves with early in the year, whether that's penalties, not being able to finish drives, um, dropped passes we've seen become an issue at different times um mental mistakes from different people in different settings um i i didn't think the clock management or at least the use of challenges and timeouts as a result of challenges was very good on sunday so a lot of those little things you know mike zimmer's talked about that a lot over the years that if you don't if you're the team that makes fewer mistakes you will win like eight games on that basis alone and I think that's probably a lot of the part of this that's grating on him the most right now. Yeah, because it is. It's, it's kind of unorthodox, uncharacteristic, I should say. Things that we're not used to seeing from Mike Zimmer teams, but with how much roster turnover there was. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, too. One of the questions we got, um, Mike, how close are we to, to taking questions? Let's, let's go. Let's, hit, let's, let's go live right now. We're ready to take questions right now. Cool. Um, yeah, so let's, let's start because there's, there's a good one there that's a good transition to what we were just talking about um, in terms of some of the, the clock management loss against the Titans, how Mike Zimmer was handling some of those things. Um, Neil asks, 
Is it me or is Mike Zimmer less angry post game in these after losses this year compared to previous years? Um, is this an attempt to go easy on a young roster? What do you think, Ben? I have noticed a difference. I think there has been – it's been two things. I think he's been a little more um, – he's had a little more perspective probably about it, understanding that there's going to be some of these things that happen. He has also, I think, been more willing to – and I'm probably jinx it, jinxing it by saying it, but he's been more willing to critique players in the media. And he typically, about once a year – I mean, he typically will do it, and then he'll have this moment kind of once a year where he says, I'm not going to evaluate players in the media. But I, I do think with younger players, and this is the way he started in 2014 when it was a defense that was still trying to find its way, I wonder if he's a little more willing to do that because he's trying to send messages to those players about what he wants them to do differently and what he wants them to fix. I mean, now he, he didn't really spare anybody on Sunday, you know, the calling the offense – a disaster and saying it was chaos, which I think he walked back the chaos part the next day was interesting. And, and he said that was part of the reason for that is that they had veterans. And, and he kind of said that Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris screwed up a couple times as well, but I have noticed a difference and I, I've wondered why it is. I, it could be possibly that uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder and he likes us more because we're dealing with him virtually. That's probably not it. But uh, I have noticed a difference. I think it has more to do with the fact that you've got some younger guys that you can send a message to. To me, I think it's about expectations. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's the fact that going into this, I, although Zimmer did mention earlier, and I think it was after the Green Bay game, um, he did mention that he felt like he misjudged the roster a little bit on what they were capable of doing in terms of how he schemed the game plan for Green Bay. But it seemed like he learned that pretty quick he learned pretty quick about like, Hey, we, we're not going to be able to play a lot of single high safety and cover deep um, with this roster right now. But I do, I do think it trickles a little bit over, but it seems like the angst has been amped up toward the offense instead of the defense. Like it kind of tilted away a little bit and it's like, well, Mike, the defense is still giving up 30 points a game. So um, might, might want to adjust that a little bit, but um, anyway, I, I do think he's, he's taking it a little bit easier because you're not hearing him call out some of these younger guys, even if it's a, a Mike Hughes or a Holton Hill. Got- Coming from Lee here, yeah, just kind of piggybacking on some of – probably a little bit this, – this will help us get into the Zimmer-Cousins stuff a little bit. If for some reason they bench Cousins, which they won't, does he come across as the guy to request a trade or something like that? Now, again, this is maybe a, a little far-fetched, but it, it is a way – an entry point into – the relationship between Zimmer and Cousins, which, you know, I don't know how far that goes, but there's been some, I think it's fair to say there's been at least been some tension over the last few years with Cousins or Zimmer wanting Cousins to play one way with, you know, Cousins, you know, then just take little trading little barbs or, you know, passive aggressive barbs in, in the media. And, and whenever this happens, I, I almost, I go back to 2018 off season where Zimmer, kind of basically said in not so many words, I don't think he really wanted Kirk Cousins here in the first place. Like he, he kind of wanted a, a low budget quarterback so he could spend on his defense again. If you go back to the, the scouting combine, that was kind of what he was saying, or at least the, and then the, the, uh, the money quote, you know, if I, if we pick the wrong guy, I'm going to get fired quote. I mean, it, it, it all, I always go back to that when, whenever these little things bubble up. And I think, I think the message he's trying to send is, we kind of made our team around you to a certain degree. We kind of changed, we shifted in 2018 from 
kind of a defense first to a we want to be able to win a couple different ways kind of team. And if you're making all this money, you've got to go, go, got to go win us a game right now because we, you know, maybe we don't have the resources on defense right now because of you. I would describe this as an arranged marriage. I think the relationship started probably in part because there were other people in the building that said, Hey, we need to go get a quarterback. I'm I'm sure Rick Spielman was one of those people. And they decided to go pay Kirk cousins. He had a lot of leverage. He's talked about how the franchise tag can be your friend. And for as much as he had back and forth and, you know, can characterize what happened in Washington as, as adversity, it, unequivocally helped him make more money because he was coming off of a, a strong negotiating point and hit free agency when he was still in his twenties. So it was something that helped him go into the market with a ton of leverage and that and the Vikings were the team certainly that was in position to look at 2017 and say, Hey, if we get a quarterback, we can put ourselves over the top. Now, not paying Case Keenum looked like the right decision in, in hindsight. And I think the reasons for it at the time were we don't trust that this guy's going to be consistent long-term. Uh, Teddy's knee has held up to this point. Obviously, Sam Bradford is not in the league. So whether any of those options would have been the right one, it's hard to say. But this, yeah, this feels like an arranged marriage. It's not a guy that they drafted and not, not a guy that they developed. They said, hey, um, we'll – we think we can make this work as a partnership and, and to some degree it has, but I don't get the sense. I mean, especially with the relationship Mike Zimmer had with Teddy Bridgewater, I don't get the sense that he feels Kirk cousins quite the same way. And I don't think that he loves the fact that they have to make tough decisions on other areas of the team because they're paying him as much money as they are. I don't think he loves the fact that cousins has been fairly willing to, share a lot of details has been uh, has not been so much lately but um after press conferences last year he said he said something after one game i think it was in kansas city that he thought cousins shared way too much of what he did wrong when he was trying to explain his performance he's talked about uh not liking the podcast is that cousins does um with mark rosen after games so some of those things they, they don't operate the same way and i think some of that is what you see play out in, in a few of these little barbs back and forth. I, I also think Cousins, for as much as he's talked about liking Minnesota, knows that this is a business relationship. When they did that contract, there was no hometown discount, nor was there any hint from Cousins camp that there was going to be one. It was, we will help you out with your cap situation, but you're going to have to give us something in response. And they certainly did. So this strikes me as a, a relationship where everybody probably should know what it is. I don't know that it's ever going to be the most touchy feely thing in the world, but if they win and everybody gets paid and everybody keeps their job, then that's probably fine. It doesn't have to be that they're all uh, riding off in the sunset together with arm in arm. Yeah. Long, long time listeners of this podcast know we end every podcast with Mike Zimmer saying, maybe you should get off the podcast. And that is to Kirk cousins that, that, that quote was delivered uh, about Kirk Cousins when he was asked a question, or I believe Mike Zimmer was asked a question about a comment Kirk Cousins made, I believe, about Adam Thielen, or maybe Thielen made it on a Kirk Cousins it podcast. It was the apology. Yeah. That's, that's right. It was the apology that um, – remind me, how did that go again? He was apologizing to Thielen for not hitting him deep after Thielen in Chicago Bears game, yeah. said that, they were, that he was frustrated with the way the offense was performing, and then that got blown up. 
Meanwhile, his other receiver was uh, preparing to skip out on a couple of days of meetings in practice. But Cousins had Thielen on the podcast to apologize to him for not hitting him downfield. And Zimmer thought, you don't need to apologize to him. Just go be better next time. So I, I think that was the, the genesis of it. Somebody said too. Somebody said too, I think it was Kirk or somebody said later on. I can't remember if it was Kirk or Adam that I guess it's not cool to apologize to people around here anymore. Or yeah, something. I think that was true. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was all those little things last year. They, if they hadn't gone, you know, ten and six and won a playoff game, we would it would have been you know even more juicy. But yeah, it's just there's there's tension in every team. I'm sure there's not every quarterback and and, you know, and head coach love each other all the time, but it's just. It's like these guys just have, have their moments once or twice a season where they're just kind of sniping at each other. Yeah, I, I don't get the sense that they are, you know, going to be bosom buddies forever. I mean, but, yeah, like you say, you saw it with Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. I think you see it with Brady and Belichick. And those are longer, much more successful relationships before things go somewhat awry. But, yeah, yeah not everybody is going to be – well, heck, I mean, you go back to Montana and Bill Walsh, there's tension. I mean, it's, it's big egos, it's big pressure, yeah. big money, and some of that comes with it. But Zimmer loved Teddy Bridgewater. Yes, he did. He said so much. So it's a, it's that, that, that's why maybe it feels extra different. Yeah, you'll never be Teddy. That was a different dynamic. All right, we got a question from Cool Fulch who wants to ask, it seems Xavier Rhodes is playing pretty well for the Colts. Do you <laughs> think there was some reason Zimmer's scheme – or something about Zimmer's scheme – or another reason why he dropped off in Minnesota. Could he be playing to the same level here still? Um, that, yeah, it is interesting because Xavier was named AFC, I believe, Defender of the Week yep. after two interceptions, a pick six for the Colts. It was against the Jets. And I think we've seen Xavier or Trey Waynes or somebody had exactly that kind of game against the Jets for the Vikings not that long ago. Um, I think that just happens against the Jets. But Jets were very good. That may have yeah. something to do with that. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. We, I need to see it for longer with Xavier before I'm saying, wow, he really turned it around. He's really a good player again. Um, but, Ben, we know so much of his downturn here had to do with injuries, not being able to run, body yeah. weight issues. Um, if he was able to get healthy over an offseason that didn't put a lot of wear and tear on his body, maybe he benefited from not practicing that much throughout the offseason. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. It's interesting because the scheme that the Colts are using him in is a lot more zone. And it, I go back to his rookie year. and This probably is not a completely fair comparison because his rookie year, it's a different thing. And that team was terrible. But the Vikings used him as a cover two corner that year where he was basically playing zone and you know, passing people off to safeties and, and not running down the field with them. You'd have an underneath coverage or trail technique or whatever it happened to be, but it wasn't lock this guy down, get up and press him and run down the field with him at that point. And he, that didn't work that year for him. And that, that team was bad for a lot of reasons, but that didn't work at the time. So the fit with the Colts seemed a little bit odd in the sense that he's more of a man corner when he's good than a zone corner, but perhaps too, if you're playing in zone and you're not, and sometimes zone turns into man when you have to carry a guy downfield anyway. But if you're not in as many of those situations where it's me and you, let's see who is physically able to handle this. Maybe he's exposed less by the fact that he can't run quite the way he used to be able to do it if he's in that scheme. So maybe at this point, that type of a scheme at this point in his career is better for him. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah, it plays out, but. 
It could be an element too of just you're in one place for eight seasons, you're in with the same coach for six of those, and then all of a sudden you're you're you know you've you've been at the kind of the top, and now you're kind of on this one year prove it deal. Sometimes that can motivate a player too. So you know it could be a lot of different things with, with Xavier. Yeah, Xavier and Mike's relationship's one that I don't I don't know if it was very very public, but I mean there was some back and forth stuff there certainly when they were together, and I if I try to picture a coach who's like the exact opposite personality as Mike Zimmer. It might be Frank. Right, Wright. Right. It might be the Colts head coach. So, Hey, it might be one of those things like with Tom Brady, where when Tom, not again, not comparing the player, but the situation where you go from one head coach is pretty stringent to a coach who's a little more laid back. Um, hey, maybe it just allows you to feel a little bit better about yourself week to week. Um, all right. We got another question. Um, oh, I got one from Chris here um, about tight ends. Uh, why haven't tight ends been more involved in the passing game? this season um this guy seems like he's managing my fantasy team and irv smith <laughs> so uh, mike did you, i have the same questions yes yeah, so you, you've got irv smith and you're wondering what's going on yeah i mean well it's a good question though because i think you know some of what we some of the narrative going into the season was yeah they traded stefan Diggs, but there's a you know maybe they're going to get irv smith more involved in some more a little bit more vertical passing game you still got kyle rudolph who made a really nice touchdown catch um, last game, one that looked like maybe it was going to, if not seal the win, that one, that was one that put them up. Is that the one that put them up by, by more than one score? Or is that a, the one that put them back ahead? I can't remember, I can't remember exactly, but. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a big, it was a great catch, big catch, kind of a vintage Kyle Rudolph catch where he's able to kind of use those big mitts and keep both feet in. But you, you haven't really seen Irv Smith become much of a factor in the chances he has gotten. He's, you know, he's had a drop. He's had not a lot of penalties. He's, He's not having a great uh, second year uh, by any stretch so far. No, he's not. Um, that touchdown catch by Kyle Rudolph was in the fourth quarter. It brought them up 30 to 25, I believe. Um, yeah, so it was a big one. But anyway, yeah, Ben, it just seems like Herb's kind of going through some growing pains right now. Yeah, I mean, he's had opportunities. I mean, he had the one over the middle in opportunities, uh, the one over the middle in um, Indianapolis where he, I mean, it was, would have been a tough catch but would have been like a 25-yard gain in something in that neighborhood if he'd been able to come down with it. A post over the middle, got hit, uh, dropped it as he came down. It's had, you know, the penalties have hurt him. But, yeah, I think some of it has been also – Cousins has is not a guy that I think is – if you're the third or fourth option on a play that you're going to get a ton of run in those situations. I, I think quite often – he both because he has talked a lot about going through his reads and doing what the play is designed to do. And because I think there's probably a little bit of, Oh, this line's not going to hold up. I got to get to my first or second read. And if it's not open, I got to check it down or, or try to do something else. I, I don't know that he's going to get beyond the guys for whom the play is designed very often. And a lot of times it seems like, you see most of his targets going to wide receivers. It's sort of the opposite of what we'd seen with Vikings teams in the past where they would spread the ball around a little bit more and you didn't have a receiver put up big numbers. Cousins leans very heavily on whether it's been Thielen, Diggs. I think Justin Jefferson's going to turn into that. Um, I hope no one in my fantasy league is listening to that because I put in a nah, – no, nope, I'm going to say it. Um, yeah, I, I think he's going to turn into more of that. I, I would not pick him up this week as a waiver claim. <laughs> if anyone in my podcast or my league is listening to this, I wouldn't pick him up. I don't think it's a good matchup. 
but uh, <laughs> I think over time he could turn into that. So Cousins, I think, tends to lean more on those guys, and that may hurt Irv Smith until he builds a little more trust with him. Yeah, and Irv's still making some of the mistakes that you probably don't want to see at this point um, when it comes to just some of the, the decision-making on the penalties. Like, he admitted that the crackback block and the Colts that he got fined for, it was against Darius Leonard. He comes from the slot, comes from the backside of the play, goes low on a guy who's running away from him. You can't do that. That's how a guy buckles a knee and tears an ACL, and they've tried to rule that out because of that. And Irv said, well, it's a chop block. I do it all the time. Well, yeah, when you're lined up in the formation, you're allowed to do it, but you can't do it while lined up wide, backside of a play. Second-year guy shouldn't be making that kind of a mistake. Um, it's that kind of stuff. And he's had three, I think, 10, 15-yard penalties now in the past two games. So um, they need some of these younger guys, whether it's Garrett Bradbury. The offense has put up points. They just did. But if they can get those guys playing a lot better, um, I feel like this offense could be pretty decent moving forward. But um, – Good transition to maybe one of our last questions here. JP wants to know about the guard situation. I don't know if that's too fixable. Dakota Dozier's is who he is. He's been pretty serviceable. I thought he's been better this year than he was last year. Um, but Drew Samia, two games. Oof, it's been pretty rough. Yeah, it has. And it goes back to they didn't really do a lot to address the group. I mean, you had Josh Klein, who they released. Josh Klein is not going to be – uh, Larry Allen. I mean, it's it's not you're not getting that type of a player, but he was probably their best guard last year, and they got rid of him and and felt like we can make it work, or at least we have to maybe make it work given our financial situation with some of these younger guys. But you see them paying the price for that, and I think in a lot of ways, when you see teams have better interior pass rushes in this day and age than they have maybe in the last six or seven years, that position not being well set hurts you more often than it used to. I mean, and tackles certainly are going to be the guys that you pay, but having guards that can pass protect, I think is more important than it maybe was six or seven years ago. And I think they paid the price for that. And we've, we've talked about it over and over and it's not something that fixes things now because I don't think he'd still be here, but they have not really ever replaced Joe Berger at that spot. And that departure continues to be one that I think at the time people didn't realize how important it was and, and they haven't come up with a solution for it now. They have not, they have not. And Mike, it's only JJ Watt. He only looks healthy this time around. <laughs> and that's the thing too. Every week you're like, well, you know, this week they got to go against this guy. I was like every week there, every team has, you know, one or two pretty marquee guys up front. I mean, the Vikings certainly do when, when Daniil Hunter is healthy and they have in past years, just with Ngakwe now, like any team is going to be able to exploit a weakness on your offensive line. I think Ben made a good point. I think you used to think about interior linemen as more, you know, in the run game, it was more of like a you know, kind of a, the nose tackle on defense was more in charge of just controlling that line and you know, setting, you know, get, getting the, make like linebackers make plays in the run game. It's a lot different now. My, my good friend, Tom Lineman, who played the game, always likes to make the point that the up the middle pressure is the hardest thing for the quarterback. And we always used to think about the, you know, the edge rushers, but you can you know, see those guys or feel those guys a little bit more. There's pressure in your face. If it's just coming right at you, it's not really a lot you can do. And that's the most disruptive force. So if, if you can't pass protect, especially up the middle, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems throwing when you need to the most. And we saw that in the last drive of the game, which was either chaos or disaster, depending on which day. Yeah, and that 
Chaotic Disaster, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there a Prince cover band in town called Chaos and Disorder? I don't know. There should I be. There is. Maybe, maybe Zim's a fan. Who knows? If there, there isn't, if there isn't, there is now. Pretty sure there is. Uh, I just, I think of uh, that's how that's how the Vikings won in New Orleans. Pretty much, it's just putting Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin over the guards and and just kind of rushing up the middle and and really changing that kind of offense for the Saints and, and what they were able to do. Um, speaking of which, I guess I'm just curious to see how the Vikings. Maybe the Texans are exactly the anecdote, anecdote excuse me, to get their pass rush going because they've allowed now 13 sacks the Texans have in three games. Um, but outside of Yannick, who's, who's really brought it for them? Fadi Odenabo had a few hits, but really when you look at the, the film, wasn't that impressive. Um, I think Yannick's gotten up to speed a little bit, which is a good sign, but we have no idea if Daniel Hunter is anywhere near coming back. And with a neck injury, we can't really assume he is. No, I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon. I, I think the way this has been handled and the way, you know, what you hear about it a little bit and the injury that it is, as a neck injury, it, I, I don't think it's going to be something where he just comes back and you're going to have him early in the season. And if, when he does, that he's going to be a huge factor right away. I, just, I, I don't think it would be wise to assume that he's going to come back in a week or two and everything's going to be fine there. So they got to find yeah. another way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And so is that is that going to be blitzing the heck out of Deshaun Watson and hoping you keep him in the pocket and don't blow some kind of rush lane because that guy can get out uh-huh. on you on you pretty fast. So I don't know. Um, do we have any more questions or should we wrap this one up? Uh, we can uh, let's see. But I feel like there was one more good one. Maybe a Holton Hill question. No, like yeah. not like a big picture question. But do you feel Holton Hill's playing time might get reduced? when Dantzler or Hughes are ready to come back, or will we see more of a cornerback rotation? I would, I would think it's going to be a rotation. I would, I would think just seeing as how Mike Zimmer handled it last year when his corners were struggling or not necessarily reliable, he had those guys mixing in and out to try and get the younger guys' experience, um, specifically Mike Hughes. Um, I don't know, Ben, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, Hill has seemed, I guess – of the three of those guys that you mentioned, the one that perhaps is the has the most leash. I mean, he's probably been the, he's certainly been the healthiest, yeah. and I think he's the biggest. I mean, certainly he's of the guys that he's a Dantzler's bigger. Hill has more experience. He's healthier than Hughes, so maybe he's in some ways the the guy that checks the most boxes too. I I think. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that's involved and, and probably has, I mean, he got beat up on a little bit with Devontae Adams, but probably hasn't been as bad as that game being in people's memories would suggest that he's been over the course of three. I, I, I think he's going to continue to be involved. You got to figure out what you have in Mike Hughes. They actually have to make a decision on a fifth year option with him after this year. So, I mean, that's going to be an interesting call. So I think they're going to want to see, in fairly short order here, what they can count on him to be. And that means playing time, especially if the season is trending toward plan for the future. Um, and Cameron Dantzler, they like, they want to certainly see more Jeff Gladney, but I, I tend to think Hill is going to continue to be involved. And this would be a good problem for them to have, because that would mean that Mike Hughes is healthy. And we don't, we don't know that either. Another neck injury that popped up, Mike Zimmer said, I don't believe so when I'd asked him whether or not it was related to the um, fractured um, neck that he had had that ended his season last year. And it's so hard for me to believe that it's not connected somehow. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. 
Um, you, you would assume. And so Mike Zimmer says that he thinks Hughes is going to be okay. Hughes is not on IR, which would indicate they don't view it as a three-week injury, but obviously he did not practice last week. Uh, we don't know his status for the second week here going into the Houston game, but Dantzler's missed two games. He hasn't practiced since that rib injury, September 13th. Um, but he also hasn't been on IR, so you would assume he's close to coming back given the timeline that they've got um, with IR this year, with it being three weeks. So it'd be a good problem to have if they had all four of those guys available because then they could rotate those guys. Um, but I would agree with Ben in the sense that I, I don't see Holton Hill going anywhere. I would think it'd be the rookies, probably Gladney and, and Hughes maybe mixing in the slot a little bit. Um, Dantzler seemed to earn some, some reps out there, and I, I don't think he did anything in that Green Bay game. Outside, I mean, you get beat once by Aaron Rodgers, it happens, but he was in good coverage on that big touchdown um, to Valdez Scantling just before halftime. And I don't think he did anything in that game to lose his spot outside of getting injured. So um, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Um, all right. Well, I suppose we could wrap up this edition of the Axis Vikings podcast. Thanks for checking it out, guys. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com where we will have all the updates on the Vikings latest COVID situation and their game on Sunday. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>